Good morning. For those of you who do not know me, my name is Danny Russell, and I am the church planting resident here at Evanston Bible Fellowship. Uh, before I start this morning, let's go before the Lord in prayer. Father, we praise you this morning for the life that is found in you. We praise you for your absolute, complete sufficiency. And we confess, God, that we so often doubt your sufficiency in our thoughts and our actions. Speak to us this morning through your word and give us faith to believe that you are enough. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we've gone through the book of Colossians, each week Pastor Jason has summarized the book, talking about a false teaching that is threatening the Colossian church. It's a movement from the gospel to some sort of higher plane. It's Jesus plus something else. And last week during the sermon, Jason, he even hinted that this week we would be talking about the specifics of the false teaching. What this Jesus plus something actually is. He probably got you all hyped up this morning to hear about the specific false teaching. You probably walked into church this morning like, I cannot wait to learn what the Colossian church was facing. And then he left me to be the bearer of bad news. All right, here's the deal. We are, in fact, going to look at the false teaching threatening the Colossian church this morning. Pastor Jason, he wasn't misleading you there. But there isn't a ton of clarity on what the false teaching specifically meant on a day-to-day basis for the Colossians. So, so some of you might be longing for more clarity on like what Paul is actually talking about. But I think that this is significant to mention right at the start because this means that our purpose this morning isn't so much to gain an intellectual understanding of what was facing the Colossian church. Instead, our purpose is to look at the big picture. What is Paul saying to the Colossians? And what is Paul saying to us? What is Paul saying to the Colossians and what is Paul saying to us? The answer, Christ is sufficient. Christ is sufficient. To give you a quick look at where we're heading this morning, Paul is going to give two warnings in this passage, which we'll just cover really briefly, and then our main points will be Paul's response to these warnings. So two brief warnings, and then our three main points. First, Christ is sufficient to free you. Second, Christ is sufficient to grow you. And third, Christ is sufficient to give you life. Christ is sufficient to free you, to grow you, and to give you life. So let's stand as we read together in Colossians Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Colossians 2, 16 through 23. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival, or a new moon, or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. 
Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. You may be seated. So in this passage, Paul makes two distinct warnings to the Colossians, to the Colossian people. The first is in verse 16, where he says, Let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. So essentially, the false teachers are coming in to a church that's full of Gentile people and telling them that Jesus is not enough. That they also need to follow the Jewish law. All all of the items that you see listed in, in verse 16 are specific facets of the law that God gave to his people in the Old Testament. And the teachers are imposing what was meant for the Jewish people in the Old Testament onto the Gentiles. So essentially, it's a warning against legalism. A warning against thinking that you need to meet a list of works-based requirements in order to have a relationship with God. So that's the first warning, a warning against legalism. The second warning is in verse 18, where he says, Let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind. And this, this is where it starts to get a little bit foreign to us and a little bit more cryptic because it's so context-specific. But essentially, the false teachers are preaching what we will call a self-made religion. I think one Bible commentator sums it up well. He says, Though there was a show of humility in the practice, there was a real pride in the principle. Though there was a show of humility in the practice, there was a real pride in the principle. Asceticism can also be translated as false humility. Basically, the teachers would say that the Colossians need to practice self-denial in the form of dietary restrictions and sometimes even in physically harmful practices. And they, they would teach also that people are not worthy to directly worship God, and so we need to worship angels instead. So when you see asceticism and worship of angels, think false humility. And and Paul calls it false humility because though it had the outward appearance of being humble, the teachers would go on and on about these special visions that they were getting from God, and that would lead to them being puffed up. They thought that they had special knowledge from God. It was a show of humility and practice but there was a real pride in the principle. So we'll call this a warning against self-made religion, borrowing the term from verse 23. And both of these warnings tried to add to the gospel. They were both 
uh, a warning against this idea that you needed something else in your spiritual life besides Jesus. Now, before, before we go on, I just want to take a quick step back. You probably hear those two warnings, and maybe you're thinking, like, that is, that's great for the Colossians, but I have not had a single person tell me about a vision that they saw recently or tell me to worship angels. Like, I'm set. I'm all good. Check out, take a nap, rest of the service. But I do think that we have modern-day equivalents to the warnings that Paul gives. Once I start having consistent time in my Bible, once I get on top of that, then God will love me more. Once I finally get some rest, once that vacation comes, once the weekend comes, then I'll get closer to God. I can finally feel good about myself once I finally start seeing victory in fighting sin. If our family devotion time was more regular, I wouldn't feel like such a failure all the time. Do any of those sound familiar? We are constantly treating good, God-given things as if they are law, twisting biblical truth and biblical standards to become ways to earn God's favor. We need to be warned of legalism. Or, or what about these thoughts? Once my kid stops listening to that music or watching those movies or hanging out with those friends, then they will be able to live a good Christian life. Once, once I feel something, then I'll start reading my Bible more. I, I just, I want to really feel something when I do it. If this person shared my political views or my social views, then they would be a faithful Christian. We are constantly adding extra biblical standards, things that are beyond the realm of Scripture, as if it enhances or detracts from someone's spiritual life. We need to be warned of self-made religion. Now, most of the ways that we face these things, they're subtle, but we do face them. It, it might not be something that we say out loud, that you say out loud, but it's just something that, that colors your actions and impacts your motivation and kind of just lingers in the, in the back of your mind. So as you think about these warnings, don't, don't just dismiss them. These warnings are for the Colossians, and they're also for us. And that's where we return to our passage this morning. As Paul doesn't simply warn the church, it's not only about the warnings. He also points them to Jesus. Let's look at verse 17. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. This is Paul's response to the first warning about legalism. The Jewish law, the specific requirements that the false teachers are referencing, were, were never God's permanent solution. They, they were never meant to last forever. They were insufficient. They were only a shadow of what was to come. The law was designed to point forward to the Messiah, who would fulfill the law by meeting all of its requirements. The substance belongs to Christ, who was our perfect Savior that lived a life without sin. In Matthew 5, Jesus says that he didn't come to abolish the law, but to fulfill it. Romans 10.4 says that Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. The end of the law for righteousness. 
The law is no longer where you earn your righteousness. Why? Because you can't do it. You can't be good enough to meet the requirements of the law. And that is why Jesus did it on your behalf. When you, when you repent of your sin and trust in Jesus, a great exchange takes place. Where Jesus took on the penalty of your sin on the cross. He died the death that you deserved. And through faith, by God's grace alone, you are given Christ's righteousness. Jesus takes your sin away, and you get his perfection. And and that's why Paul reminds the Colossians that Christ is sufficient to free them from the law. And why I am reminding you that Christ is sufficient. He is enough. There is nothing that you can add to your salvation or anything that can make God approve of you more. Christ is sufficient to free you. Let's move to the next point as we read verse 19, where Paul is responding to the false teachers promoting their self-made religion. He continues on from the warning, and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. When we stop holding fast to the head, we begin to add things to the gospel and twist it. We try to grow by our own efforts. And what we see here is that this is insufficient. Only Christ is sufficient to grow you. Paul references Jesus as the head of the body. He he says Jesus nourishes and knits together the entire body. And the growth, it isn't because of us. It's not because of how smart we are. It's not because of how connected to ourselves we are. It's not because of how much of a critical thinker we are. The growth is directly from God by his grace. I, I think that two, way, two great ways to hold fast to the head are through being in the word and being connected to the local church. Being in the Word is self-explanatory. When, when you read the Bible, you can be sure that what you are hearing is from God. You can be sure that what you are reading is true. But I think that being connected to the local church isn't as popular nowadays. It's easier to kind of keep the church at an arm's length and, and maybe go on Sunday morning, but, but then not really let people in on how you are doing and, and what you're thinking about. I think you can go to church nowadays without holding fast to Jesus. You can can go to church nowadays without holding fast to Jesus. It's like how you can go to the pool and never even get wet. You can go to the pool and you can sit on the side and get a really nice tan. And it might even look good to others. Like people can tell that you went to the pool. But Jesus doesn't call us to just watch all the people swimming. He calls us to jump in. How connected are you to others in the church? Are you involved in in an ethos community? Are are people in your life, do they know you well enough to correct you and, and to remind you where true growth comes from? When you hold fast to Jesus, God will give the growth that you need. He is sufficient to grow you. Now let's read the rest of the passage, starting in verse 20. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, 
Why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. So Paul closes out this section by asking a rhetorical question in order to make a point. If you are no longer alive in the world, then why are you living like it? If you know that you can't earn God's love, why do you act like it's still possible? If you know that your works are filthy rags to God, then why are you trying to present them to him as a crown? The false teachings promoted in the Colossian church are of no value. And the false teachings promoted in your life are of no value. They will never give you life as you think. Your desire to gain approval through, through following the law will give you a temporary boost, but it will never give you life. Your extra-biblical standards might look good to others, but they will never give you life. Only Christ is sufficient to give you life. And this is the point that Paul is trying to make. If you are in Christ, that means that you have died with him and that you have also been raised with him to new life. We so easily insert pseudo-spiritual additions to our walk with God and expect them to make us closer to him. These things might have an appearance of wisdom, but they have no value. They are the equivalent to looking for life in the world, which is temporary and empty and ultimately insufficient. The life that's offered in Christ is unchanging, unfailing, and eternal. In John 10, Jesus says, The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The life that Jesus offers isn't one of begrudgingly following strict rules and watching while everyone else in the world satisfies the desires of their flesh. The life that Jesus offers is one of joy, one of growth, one of freedom. He offers us true life. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Do you believe this morning that Jesus is the true source of life? Do you believe this morning that he is sufficient? Or, or do you think that you need to add to the gospel? Do you think that you need to, something else to get you to the next level of happiness or, or even to the next level of your relationship with God? Jesus offers you everything that you already need. Himself. He is sufficient. Now let's praise him for his sufficiency this morning as we close in prayer. Father, we praise you that you are the sufficient God who meets all of our needs. We praise you that you are sufficient to save our souls and, and you are sufficient to 
Grow us more into your image, and you are sufficient to give us true, everlasting life. Father, we want to know these truths. Help these truths to not only be intellectual knowledge, but to sink deep down and be ingrained in our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen.